Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Esmerine is an award-winning chamber rock ensemble which originally hails from Montreal, Quebec. The band's latest glorious album is called Mechanics of Dominion, and it was released in 2017 by Constellation Records. This past January, multi-instrumentalists Bruce Codron and Brian Sanderson joined me in a CFRU recording studio in Guelph, and we had a really fascinating conversation about the big-picture meanings and origin stories behind each and every song on Mechanics of Dominion. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts, this is the 382nd episode of Creative Control, featuring Bruce and Brian from Esmerine, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, Nish. It's nice to have you back on the show. You know, wait, you've never been on the show. I've never been on the show. No. <laughs> but it's nice to be back. It's nice to have you <laughs> back. It doesn't stop me from... It's nice uh, to have you back here in front of me, is yeah, what I I'm meant getting there. sentimental. Yes. <laughs> For the times when you weren't on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, welcome back to the show. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> how are you, Bruce? I'm doing pretty well. Good, yep. good, good. Yep. Brian, you're well? Uh, I am. I'm, I'm feeling superb, actually. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautifully, as we're speaking, it's an unseasonably warm January, January day. January day. And it's lovely. Everything's melting. There's water everywhere, which is kind of frightening, but also kind of nice. <laughs> people grass are happy. down here. Grass. Yes, we have grass. That's true. Mm-hmm. You, are you not, there's no grass in Wakefield? Shh, winter wastes. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. It's very, it's very icy, snowy back home still. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, we finally get to talk about a record you put out in the year 2017, even though it's the year 2018. That's only three months ago. Yeah, it's true. Records have a long shelf life. Especially instrumental records. That's right. They, you, you need that much time just to process it's them. It's like a Beethoven, man. They're still playing them. It's true. They still are. They still are a long shelf life. The record is called Mechanics of Dominion. It's wonderful. Thank you for uh, coming by to talk about it. I remember the Bruce said uh, the last time you were on the show, we were talking about the last Esmarine record, and you were gearing up for this one. You'd, I think you bought or obtained an electronic marimba. Is that right? Is that yes. something? It's basically a MIDI uh, type of marimba. Yeah. Called a mallet cat, and you can you know play diff put in different sounds and whack it with your marimba mallets. <laughs> yeah, right. And there you go. Anything you can whack is just great. When you're a drummer, it's just like heaven. Yes. So did you utilize this new thing for this record? Did we? Uh, we utilized it a great deal in writing. Yeah, in writing. Yeah, I don't see it listed as one of the instruments on the. In no, the but it was in some of the stuff like uh, in pre-production and. Uh, didn't really need it, I suppose, for the record. Okay, you didn't need it. Didn't need it. It didn't. I got it more because it's a valuable touring instrument. Oh. And um, and also for the sounds that I want to get from it, which is might be distorted stuff, or you know, to be more of a guitar-y kind of sound, because as Marine, well, had, Brian plays guitar, but just to be able to have more versatility within the group who can do what. Um, it's I used it more as a touring thing. And then when we we're actually getting those sounds in studio, well, you use an electric guitar. Sure, right. I mean, we were, when we talked about Lost Voices, we talked about how it was a, a more of a rock record for this group, and there was more guitar interplay than maybe previous records. Brian, mm -hmm. do you want to speak to the rise of guitar in Esmarine? The rise of the guitar, the... Casual sidestep over to the guitar, <laughs> the friendly handshake with the guitar. Yes, uh, I, I think what I say rise, you say all of the above. Well, uh, because uh, rise takes me back to uh, some of my um, some I think of our culture's preconceived stereotypes when it comes to electric guitar. Uh, well, one of the reasons I bring it up is because Esmerine, I think, for a, a while was pointedly anti-guitar, or there was no. Not that there was an uncle and auntie guitar, but there was a lack of guitar. It seemed pointed, pointed and pointed, pointed and purposeful lack of guitar because in my land in Montreal at the time, everyone played guitar. Well, also post-rock. What is that? It's guitar and it's like uh, guitar and drums and bass. That's right? most. It's, That's it's got some neoclassical elements, I think, as well. But yes, yes, yes but, it's know. true. Yes. So to set the group apart, it seemed like there was no guitar, but... As I spoke to, uh, when I spoke to Bruce and Becky about the last record, there was this feeling of, you know, we want to be a bit louder. We want to be a bit more raucous. We have uh, things we want to put across in our music. And, and so the guitar seemed like, and I believe you were touring Europe and had encountered a guitar player that was adding really interesting uh, yes, elements. Yes, our, our friend uh, James Hakan, who lives in Istanbul. Yes, that's correct. So, so the guitar sort of seeped its way sneakily back into Esmeralda yes, or into Esmeralda. The important, the, I think the important dynamic did, is right. the way it, it, it slips in is perhaps a, the best way of putting it because the player, James, is exactly not anything like a stereotype electric guitar player. He's, yeah. he's the opposite of yeah. that. He's the 
hide very gently in the background and create a monster-sized venomous snake without any look of ego on his face. You know, it's not a penis is an ego thing. (laughs) When he plays guitar, because that's what and, you think of when you think. And, of. and even uh, well, sure, I can picture the penis is an ego guitar face right now. It's the worst. I think we all know what it looks we, like. Most it's embarrassing, but it needs to be said out loud. I think so. It needs to be confronted. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag penises and yeah, egos. Yeah, so. I uh, already have a hashtag for promoting this episode, yes. <laughs> there it is. Oops. <laughs> um, but even uh, Jérémy Roy, who played bass with the band, he also uh, played a lot of saz. But there were many times where we didn't have a saz, a saz wasn't working. So interestingly enough, he would be playing guitar just because the riff would come off of a guitar. And I've done that right. before where I'm supposed to be playing instrument X for whatever reason it's not working and you just pick up a guitar. So it's a very... A casual accident rather than a... And it's good not to have rules that are too... Uh, saying there shouldn't be any one of a certain kind of instrument, of course, is, that sets you up for a different kind of failure. Well, when I look at the list of ingredients attributed to you, Brian, guitar is second last, actually, in terms of the instrumentation you play on this record. I, I, How I was, they all begin with letters earlier than G. That's right. It's well, not no, alphabetical. It's, it's not, not alphabetical. alphabetical. Oh. I'm just, um, you know, when you get a product and you see it says water is the first ingredient, I see guitar is just before marimba. It's like MSG. It's exactly right. <laughs> Way at the bottom. The yeah, playing so, into the right. stereotype. The yeah, that's right. We can't help ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so that was, we've kind of in a, in a nutshell captured some of the, the feeling and vibe behind the last record. And, uh, I, and we've sort of hinted at what's gone on to this one. But can you, Bruce, first talk about... Where this new record, Mechanics of Dominion, sort of emanated from? I guess it's a follow-on from the last one, in the sense that uh, Lost Voices has really become like the opening uh, record and like a triptych, almost a three thing that we've imagined and that wasn't conceptualized right away. It was just something that has been becoming more evident and this is like the the middle one, I would say. Oh, I see. Yeah, part two. So, <laughs> um, but the the concept of this is to because we're basically we have a th- we're the lost voices was a theme about it's very didactic. Like what is being lost within our culture in the natural world and various cultures, even within people themselves or species, et cetera, what is being lost. And to call attention to that through tone poems. Right. Now, this one um, is then exploring why is that happening, right? What are, what is mechanics of dominion? What, yeah. what is, it's, it's also somewhat didactic, but then we can explore that theme from, uh, lots of different angles, and you can you can see. You know, it's hard in an instrumental record to get a message across, or not so hard. I don't know. We seem to do it all right, but via the titles of the songs themselves. Sure, and interviews like this, and interviews like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I, I I'm looking forward to getting into each of these songs uh, in a moment, but I, I do think it's worth mentioning that. Esmerine has won, I believe, two consecutive Juno Genius. Awards for artwork. No, we got for <clears throat> Dalmac. No, for yeah, Dalmac, we won the best instrumental, and then for Lost Voices, we won 
best, I guess it would be artwork, packaging. Graphic design. Graphic design. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Okay. Artwork, packaging, and graphic. Mm-hmm. And I think yes. that's overall. So all the records that were up for consideration. No, no, that you, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, that was for Lost Voices. Yeah. The last record mm-hmm. one. So you've won two Junos. Oh, I see. The, the first one you won was 2011 or something like that? Or? 2013? 2013. Okay. Yeah, 2013. And then Lost Voices was last year. Yeah. 20, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 20, so, or last year? The year before. Whatever. 15, I, I don't know yeah, what year it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. So 16. You, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Yeah. It feels like Lost Voices just came out to but me. But, you know, I listen to you all the time, so I hear you everywhere. <laughs> so uh, I want to ask, first of all, then, about the artwork. Because now you have a reputation. You have, to, yeah, you, you have to win these awards, or at least get nominated. Can yeah. you talk a little... Uh, I, I don't know if one of you feels more comfortable about this than the other. I'm probably more qualified. Okay, because you worked with... Uh, is that yeah? You know what? Yeah. So sure, Bruce. Can you talk a little bit about the artwork for Mechanics of Dominion? Okay. So the artwork is done by a Montreal artist named Jean Sebastien Denis, and he does a kind of a new type of artwork where you're looking at the CD now. Vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a multimedia mix, I would say, where it's uh, an abstract form that uh, mixes actual painting right onto something and then mixing with digital medium and putting in different layers and creating something on a canvas. It's a print. Yeah. That often in, we played with one as Vernissage. So when he had an exhibit in Montreal and so it would be like a digital print and then with painting, paints on top of it, you can see and this one on the inner left sleeve of the record, if anybody's following along at home. <laughs> By the way, I need the vinyl record for this. But I, I just, this is what I have with me right now. I uh-huh, have this. Because uh-huh. I think it'll look even uh, they're, more spectacular. They're really great. They're Didn't really you do great. the, and the, uh, my understanding of the vinyl uh, release is that it's a more deluxe. The artwork is more deluxe. You have, well, yes, because it has the front and the back cover of what's on the CD, obviously. But then it comes with, you know, Constellation is great with their packaging and their yeah. artwork. They really, they, they don't shirk. Yeah. And so it has five, um, all five pieces that we finally decided on, and they're all as little prints inside. Right. Yeah. Uh, it sounds lovely. Yeah, you, it's great. Would you say that, so this is a multimedia uh, art conception. Does it have anything to do with the content uh, therein, or at least the theme, of, you know, mechanics of dominion. Does this speak to that in some way, or do you feel like it's in the same way that how does an instrumental piece speak to its title? Mm-hmm. That's one way to of the artist pointing the listener in a certain direction. But ultimately, you might you know not do that, and it might just be whatever your emotional reaction is. So that's paralleling whatever emotional reaction you might feel. Okay. It's abstract in the same way that instrumental music can be abstract. So how did you decide upon this being the cover? I mean, I, I look at all the pieces. I, I assume it was a... Is there anything that's particularly striking to you about this? Well, you know, band dynamics being what they are... <laughs> yes. It's a democracy. Uh-huh. And uh, I was all right with whatever... I, there was some... I, I, liked better than others and so I said I like these three and you guys can pick what you like the best 
Brian, which because one? Which one do you like the best here? You, there's, okay, I've got four in front. Uh, yeah, one. There two, should have been. Another I know one it's here. probably in my thing. The uh, I think my issue with the CD presentation is that it's not. I mean, you talk about skimping. I actually, what I perceive is uh, constellation skimping because what it should be is a, a moving holograph, uh-huh. right? And Hologram. and depending on how you change the angle of the CD, you know what I'm talking about. You yeah. get a different one of the abstract paintings, right? That should be how it's organized. Because what I, in answer to your question, what I like the best is actually a, a constant. It cheats the work that we have to put one on the cover. They're that's, all That's kind of where I was coming from. They could be on complete rotation. Yeah. So you think... Uh, we didn't get the Canada Council grant for that. Did you apply for a holographic no, representation? We should have. That, that would be great. Brian has just conceived <laughs> the best idea Next I've record. ever heard. Next record. Uh, so don't Nickelback is listening. That's it. the problem. <laughs> It'll be Nickelback that takes this. What? No, I don't. Chad, think so. I want ten percent. <laughs> I don't think. Um, don't as a testament, much time as a testament to, the show. Uh, to the artwork, though. Yes. Uh, I sold a copy to a local family and back in Cantley, West Quebec. Of the record. Of the record, yeah. they have uh, a wide range of ages of kids, and when the vinyl came to their house, they were very excited. Mm-hmm. And the kids pulled out all of the abstract paintings, and I've since gone back to their house, and there is now abstract, fresh, current abstract art hanging on these kids' walls. Oh, it inspired them to... They love it. It's actually... uh, And the parents actually had to comment on the fact that I don't know how else I would get, like, postmodern abstract art on the walls of my kids' bedrooms. There is an exploratory... I don't want to say childlike, but there is that. It, it does remind me of my own kids, you know, when they splat, splash paint on things yeah. and try to draw things. Yeah. Well, the oldest is 19. Uh-huh. And so to me, um, when I think about if, if there's anything interesting to me implicitly in this kind of album with its theme is that if it's relevant to anyone who's younger than 25, then to me, it's actually a dovetail with the idea of the film of, of the of the film of the of the album in some way. Right. So the fact that a nineteen-year-old can take to it to me is uh, that's a positive sign because to, to me it means that we're actually speaking relevantly to the issue of dominion. Yes, having dominion over nature, which yeah. is actually one of the descriptions you could use for the pickle we're in collectively. Right. So it heartens me okay. that young people take to it. Uh, Brian, you just, uh, I don't think you, me- you meant to say film, but you did say film. And I remember reading in the contextual promotional material for this record that there was some scoring work that was supposed to be done or uh, something to do with an NFB film, I believe. There was a commission. Did that actually take place, Bruce? Yes, it took place. And we were commissioned. We recorded. They used a bunch of our catalog and a bunch of the new stuff that we recorded for the film. So th- this is in between Lost Voyages. Like, is this yeah. is this in yeah, an interstitial in sort of bunch yeah. of composition between these two records, Lost Voices and this one? Mm-hmm. Okay, so nothing from these film composition sessions sort of informed this? Mm, oh. With the exception. Uh-huh. Well, yes, it did inform. One of the piano parts, one of the bases of one of the compositions actually came from those sessions, but it wasn't actually used oh, I see. on the film. I yes. See. Okay. So there was like outtakes from the sessions of the film. And even uh, we brought it, because when we were getting ready to record, we just basically had like 16 tracks for consideration. Mm-hmm. For, the, sorry, the for composition? The, for oh, for the record. record. Okay, yeah. And so some of them were from 
this uh, this film soundtrack. From those sessions. Mm-hmm. Right. Had you done, because I think this is a big thing that you could be doing more of. Have you done much film composition work I've, in uh, Esmerine? Uh, we've done a little bit. Yeah, we could do. We could be doing it every week. It would be hello, everybody. <laughs> Chad, Chad, <laughs> see if we can get that Nickelback pull to get you some film soundtracks. Okay, so was it, was that experience fun? Was it fulfilling to, yeah, to it was score great. film? Yeah. I mean, we we hadn't seen the film, so essentially, we you weren't playing against the film. We were not. Anyway, it wasn't any oh. kind of kino kind of thing. Oh, okay. So basically, they gave us a rough. Uh, precis of what was the film would be about, and and we went in and we just jammed. They did give us a uh, cue to cue timesheet with an overview of the film. Generally, we will need pieces of this kind of length and that kind of length, and they will be appearing in a scene where you know maybe there was contextualization, yeah. but no aesthetic <clears throat> sort of direction. No, so we really created a wide variety of music for them to consider uh-huh. and uh, there you go okay that's fascinating I and think they were drawn to it largely based on our work with Dalmac oh, okay. uh, so I think when we went to do it we, we were reminded of Dalmac in that space and thinking oh that's the part of Esmerine that you were most attracted to what year did that record come out 2013 2013 right okay so not you didn't have to dig too far into your Catalogs, so no, to speak. but you know, Esmerine really has a has its own mode, right? So, we I don't think we've strayed too far from our roots, anyway. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, okay. So no. it, was, it was satisfying. Yeah, no, it was real fun. And how long have you been in the band, Brian? Twenty third, twenty twelve. I joined a tour. Okay, because uh, the harpist couldn't make the tour. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, Sarah Page from Paget. the Bar Brothers. Right, couldn't make it. You well, Barb- stepped in. Yeah. Now there's guitar and other, sorry, and many other things. We and repl- MSG. We replaced the yeah. harp with, the, what were you playing? Ukulele? I didn't actually bring, there was no guitar on that tour. I played a baritone ukulele. I played, I learned harp parts and transformed them into baritone ukulele parts. That sounds unusual. Uh, it, it, was, was, it was impressive. Well, what needed to happen would be <laughs> that if you need to play uh, five instruments, you also need to figure out how all five of those instruments can be taken somewhere in yes, a kit. right. And so, oh. frankly... If you want an acoustic-sounding instrument that can vaguely resemble a harp, uh, a nylon-strung baritone ukulele with four fingers on can get you somewhere, he said. (laughs) Sounds like it worked out. Sidestepping. Yes, it sounds like it worked out. (laughs) Yeah, it it did work out. It was lots of learning. All right. Well, let's get into this record. I mean, I think we have gotten into it. I'm already feeling like I've learned things, but we want to go and talk about all the songs now, and I I believe uh, a good place to begin is with the first song of the record, The Space In Between.
space in between is a wonderful piano piece. And it was essentially, Brian was hanging out in the studio at Break Glass and just uh, warming up, jamming. I wasn't there that day. And uh, Becca was like, wait, what are you doing? That's amazing. Record this right away. That's my understanding of... Is that your impression of Becky, by the way? No, 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 no. <laughs> Record this right away, Brucey. <laughs> My apologies, Becca. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, now I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's my yeah. job. Get everyone in trouble a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Anyways, I uh, was uh, because we had talked about a cello piano composition, and I had been thinking a lot about these flow charts which I should speak to because they informed a lot of what I brought to the table. Uh, I inherited this um, collection of industrial flowcharts from the late 50s. And it was various industrial processes broken down into their constituent parts with all the algorithms laid free. So I had this wonderful musical meditation thinking about, because it's great with Esmerine that you can play with metaphor so instantly and so directly and the compositional um formula is totally wide open you can sure. approach it however you would like and actually i think with esmerine there's an implicit desire to uh push as many possible formulas as you as you can and not ever have an album that's just written one way or uh so with that in mind my my greatest meditation when i was working on this album was thinking about these flow charts and that was what was going through my head when I was dabbling with this piano piece. Becca came along and said, yes, that really works. And then I think I had 20 minutes to kind of crystallize it into something that could be recorded. And then huh. I'm, con- I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by what you're saying, because a flow chart is a very, I don't know, parametric, di- like a diagram of how things can go and and, 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 and sort of designations and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yet you're saying an Esmerine you have the freedom to work beyond those things on some level, right? Well, you start with, uh, for example, you start with theme A, and theme A moves in a certain direction, but the process is going to then involve a split into three parts. And each of those separate parts, you see, I can talk about the flow chart, and I could be also talking about the arrangement of a piece of music. Right, okay. And each of these constituent parts, this part over here, is going to involve the greater amount of mass, whereas this part over here is going to involve more chemical reactions that are incredibly expensive. And you can quickly develop actually these feelings and textures that are entirely musical. Like you could describe a piece of music with the same language. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like this this came up the last time you were on the show, Bruce, is that you there is part of you that views Esmerine as this segmented group, right? Like there's the, there's the strings, there's the percussion, there's whatever else. And the arrangements in between. And, and the arrangements in between. So do you... Do you, do you see where Brian was coming from in terms of sort of... He really has an intellectual way of approaching it. Yeah. I mean, he's talking about it in an intellectual way. But uh, then there's an emotive writing that springs from that. And what I really liked about it was it parallels... He's using something from the 50s, which speaks to... Ex- an indu- it's an industrial process, and it actually speaks to from the whole concept of the record in an environmental sense and in a cultural sense how we've arrived at where we are at. So I really like that allegory, that metaphor. 
but then using that in a mathematical, because essentially that's what music is at its base <clears throat> element, it's math, created, transformed into sound. And using that mathematical model, but transforming it via heart and emotion into something that is, that triggers, that triggers our heart. Right. I think it's incredible. Right. And there's a lot of that kind of visceral playing in Esmerine, right? Mm. It seems to be where you draw your strength from. I mean, yeah. there's a rigidity to the arrangements and whatnot, but it, yeah, I get the sense you're just playing off each other in the moment. And you know, and that's really, what it's that's the M.O. of the whole post-rock scene from Montreal, if you get back to the base of it, yeah. right? That's, you know, there's arrangements. Within those arrangements, within the changes, you're, you have a part, but you're free to make it as, I mean, that's also jazz. That could be anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I think sophistication and sentimentality <coughs> are not, I mean, on some level, this isn't new in music, what you're saying. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's quite the opposite, but I, I can see why, uh, I can see how those two things interplay in this group. Mm. Okay, is there anything you want to say about this notion of the space in between? You, you alluded to it when I was mentioning the So the space in between, I think there was a, I forget her name, she is a Toronto writer who would write about um, architectural stuff in Toronto in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Oh, Jane Jacobs? Jane Jacobs. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. And um, she was right. The space in between is a quote that is taken from a part of a quote from her. And it's basically we can't look at the buildings. We can't look at how, uh, what the city is. We have to look at how people use it. Right. And how people live within those spaces, mm -hmm. the space in between. Okay. And, okay. Do you want to say anything more about why you were inspired by this quote, even? Like, is that... I, when I'm... It's so hard to find titles that appeal and that um, inspire. So I am, whenever I'm reading, I'm constantly writing things down and right. noting them and keeping them for future. And so then when it comes actually time to take the, to replace the working titles of songs with specific titles that we want to infer something or inspire something for the record, I often present to the group, hey, here's what I've p been collecting. I think these would go good here, here, here. Right. What do you think? There's often a choice of like anywhere from one to four or five titles f for each song. And people really liked that one. Okay. All right. Well, I, I appreciate these responses. Anything more you want to say? Uh, I, th I think it also, without wanting to smack <coughs> it over the head too often here, it comes back to, that, to the idea of the mechanics of dominion. Uh, that notion of what are the processes, what are the mechanics, yeah. how does it unfold this uh, overarching dominion over all things? How did we get to the Anthropocene, et cetera, et cetera? And the space in between is kind of an yet another way of saying, oh, a great way of understanding this process is not by looking at the buildings, the space in between. The space in between. Where, where there is the potential for there to be a non-dominion, for there to be something that has escaped the dominion. That would be in the space between these two buildings. Oh. If the buildings themselves reprimand, uh, represent achievements in the mechanics of dominion. 
Okay. I mean, you're getting the into... The negative space. We're getting intellectual. There's a lot of intellectual... No, well, there's intellectual stuff, but there's like urban planning, zoning, bylaw stuff going on, yeah, property yeah. line, you know... You know how much space can you actually you 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 have given been given this parcel of land to work with, but at the same time there are certain restrictions into how much that of that land you can maximize yeah. for your structure, so to speak. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of interesting because for that tune, it's weird that architectural stuff came up for that, and it's very architectural in its conception. I didn't know <laughs> Brian's idea behind that, but another one of the titles was for that was Desire Paths, mm. and Desire Paths is a name for the types of paths that people make you know when you see a dirt path that's cut across a park yeah 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 walk? that's yeah. a desire path right is that what it's called yeah a desire path i didn't know that why is that's it what people want to do even though the architects have a row of sidewalk stones that are telling them to do this other thing right. it doesn't really matter people consistently do the desire path this is or they tramp they, to go. they tramp their own path yeah and yeah. i just like that term i think it's nice because the word desire has so many connotations if you actually look at the university we're at the university <coughs> of guelph we're at the cfru studio for those who i haven't mentioned that too already <laughs> and if you look at the main it's called johnson green and it's just a path from the road up to the campus and there's no real path across that thing but it just because everyone just does it you end up with this snow tramped in the winter mm-hmm. you have the mm-hmm. snow tramped path that we all take, and then now it's yeah, like a gravel. It, it, they finally were like, we should probably put something down here. <laughs> this seems to be what people desire. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Okay. By the way, that's a great band name. Desire Path. I think so. Desire Path. That's not, not a bad band. I name. was thinking it should be more like a hit female vocalist, Desiree. I think it's more of a Desiree Path. Desiree. Path. Like an Edith Piaf. There's a, you know. Chad, are you listening? Macy Gray only. Desiree Path. That's Desiree good. Path. All right. I will cultivate such an artist someday, maybe. No, I'm Just not giving it away. Okay. You are. You are, indeed. All right. We'll move on to the uh, next piece. It's called La Lucha Es Una Sola. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting because the amazing thing about these two pieces is they're both independent compositions in their own right. They weren't conceived as a single piece. But when you're listening to the album, you can play right through the first two tracks and it can feel like a suite. Right. As a matter of fact, in my mind, it is now a suite 
And even though we have yet to perform the entire album uh, live, uh, I have a hard time in my mind now imagining not playing those two pieces one right after the other. They sound like one composition. Am I wrong, or have you not played too many shows behind this record at this point? No, we've played uh, two. Yes, just the two shows. <coughs> and in, in that, in that, in that, in those contexts, did you put these two songs together? The space in between, and uh, in those contexts, uh, yeah, we did a sort of a yeah. We were playing. We got a con. Um, were commissioned to by an arts group in Montreal, the Phi Center, to do Kino to Fantasia 2000. Okay. And so we picked a bunch from our catalog, and we the whole one of the points for me for doing that was to work up the record. Yeah. And those two pieces, we we put them together as a medley. Right. And, and Bruce, do you see, as Brian says, do you see the, there being like some continuity between the two? Do I hadn't you, thought of that, no. You don't feel they're connected? Well, they're, I hadn't, they're not connected in my head. Is there a reason they're sequenced as such? First uh, two songs? I, oh, I find, it, I find it amazing that it ends on, uh, on the note D, and yes. it's the exact same note, almost the exact same timbre, and almost the exact same um, expression that of the follows. same note that follows right. at the beginning of the next piece. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> musically, it just it sounds really, if I say they so ourselves, nicely. it sounds really nice. They dovetail really beautifully. Right, uh, and, and that's the point. Really, what instrument is creating the D? Uh, the little music box. Yeah, my my little music box. Oh, so it's a it's a, basically there's a, a museum of music boxes in Utrecht. And in their gift shop, because of course there's a gift shop, there you can buy a little music box with cards and a hole punch. So you can make your own tunes and play them. And I've been using that since, oh, I don't know. I got it the first time I uh, got one. It was a gift from Jem Cohn, who's a filmmaker, a New York filmmaker. And he was, he was making a lot of stuff for Godspeed in the early 2000s. And he gave me one because it's a, Somewhat of a percussion instrument. Does it actually look like a, a traditional music box? Uh huh. And you wind it. You wind it and open it up. Uh huh. For the no, geeks, you don't open it up. You just wind. Oh, you it. just wind it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And for the, the geeks in the crowd, it's maybe relevant to point out that it's actually got a nice two octave range. So it's actually goes a bit. The reeds are reeded a bit lower Three. than. Three. Pardon, the reeds are significantly lower than a typical music box that you get at the gift shop. Like oh, okay. The tiny ones. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah it goes That's really like a, an octave and a half below middle C. And, like and Jem was utilizing these, or he just no, he just gave them to you. He gave one to he me. Gave so one it's, to it's, you. it's it was on. Um, uh, I used it. It was on Yankee. Yeah, it's been on the Sapphire to Flame stuff and throughout the Esmerine uh, oeuvre. Okay, so, so it, it, it's something you use quite a bit. So I actually wrote the music box piece for that. It was I I did music for a dance piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, 2017, and I thought that would be, I thought, uh, out of all the pieces I wrote for that, I thought that one would be great for Esmerine. Okay. Now, you recorded this at Break Glass, which is uh, Jace Lasik's space studio. Mm-hmm. Is, it's, is he the owner? He's the owner. He's and, one of them. He's one of the owners and operators, and Jace plays in the Besnard Lakes. Right. Uh, have you previously made all your records at the hotel, the Tango? No, we, what did we do? We made the first two records with Howard Billerman at the hotel, uh, even the old hotel, before it moved, uh, moved spots. And then, uh, let's see, Lala Chusa, we made with 
Patrick Watson in his loft. Okay. And then Dalmac was mostly made in Istanbul. Okay. And sort of finished up at Break Glass. And then, then we just had such a great relationship with Jace after that, we made the record. Yeah, I, I think there's a, maybe it's my own perception <clears throat> is that there's this little hub, the Constellation Building, where everything seems to be, you know, you've got a master, mastering studio. Yes, exactly. You've got, the, you've got the label, you've got the mastering studio, and you've got the hotel all in sort of a one place. And then there's like uh, Garfield who repairs the boards in the basement and does extra stuff like that. There's like a repair joint in the basement. There's a repair place as well. Okay, so there's all this stuff going on, and I, and I kind of see everything coming out of there. Uh, when I get a Constellation record, I'm never surprised that everything sort of happened in this wonderful the I don't want to call it a factory but it is kind of got this factory atmosphere so you uh, haven't done that is what you're what I what we're establishing is that you haven't st- stuck with just that notion and the reason I bring up Jace among other reasons I guess is that he actually plays guitar on uh, three songs uh, in, in, uh, on the record uh, including this one how did that come about how did it come about that Jace would contribute to this song well he knows the band and he knows he's also uh, he's a great rock player, but he's also very he's a good listener, and he can come up with great lines. I think at the same time, also Brian was not available, and Jace is right there, and it's great to work with him. So and did he it happen? Great ideas. Was it a situation where the <clears throat> the bed track for this was laid down, and Jace said, "Aha! I think I can come up with a part for this." Or no, it was more like the bed is laid down, and uh, Jace, we ha- we would like you to play here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he had to formulate something based on your your invitation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so live, is this something you might play, Brian? Oh, I guess you haven't played every, live. Well, every Esmerine tour is a slightly different variation for me. Oh, is it? Uh, and so I actually try not to spend too much time getting too attached to what I necessarily do. Right. Okay. With Esmerine, because at any given point, the... It could shift. What might prompt on the context? What might? Oh, okay. The context. What? Yeah, I just was curious. What might prompt a shift? For you well, to... like we could be in Istanbul, yeah. and our friend James could be there. And oh. if James is there with his guitar, well, then he should step in and play the guitar. But that would liberate me to go back and play some of the horn parts that I actually can't really play if I'm playing guitar. Right. Or, sure. Or I could. Oh, now we. Um, uh, Sarah's going to join us on on violin for the night. So. Well, I don't need to be playing Sarah violin. Neufeld, for oh yeah, I right. could actually slip over and play the same violin line, but on my marching horn, which would be an octave lower and would round out that fiddle sound so nicely. So, like, if I marry myself to I play blank in song X, then when we have these wonderful encounters, which happen more than half the time, it seems like it. Yeah, we can actually. I get to have this wonderful position of being able to slip around and go, oh, that ground's covered. Well, right. I got For, these other tools. We'll do something else with my Was time. that easy to adapt to, this notion that this was you, you're going to have to go with the flow as a member of this group? That's his decision. That's kind of that's kind of how I that's kind of been the function of my musicality. That's for how he rolls. My life. He's like generally. He, he plays generally. he plays shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like, uh, or like um, Durabond or Polyfilla or the, sure. the thing that you put the crack in in the drywall to <laughs> make it utility look like guy. drywall again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Is there something you want to say about the title, La Lucha Es Una Sola? Okay, so that's more of a cultural, cultural aspects because the translation is basically the struggle is one and the same. It's from the Argentinian revolt, I would say, against the... the the capitalists in 2001. Mm-hmm. 
And that was one of the that was one of their sayings in the same way as uh, you know instead of saying so 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 solidarity it's like we are all in this together right and that's another essential and you can say that from a cultural from uh <clears throat> from a working point of view you could also say that for in um environmental point of view essentially we're trying to move past the shit that we're in and let's all do it together yeah and that, that was a theme on the last record, too. It seems to be a theme. Get the message. I think um, <clears throat> in terms of the album, in terms of details, it's kind of expressed very emotionally and viscerally when you get to, I'm not sure where it is, maybe 10 minutes plus or so into the album, and suddenly the drum kit arrives and you haven't heard any drums. Yes. And maybe you've even forgotten that you haven't heard any drums. And suddenly it's a real we're all in this together moment. Uh, as one of my friends said, it's like this ethereal, instrumental, delicate instrumental piece suddenly turns into this universal hippie dance jam on the side right. of the mountain in Montreal, man. And it's like, <laughs> and aside from how I had to hear through that, I kind of agreed with the sentiment. Yeah, there is a kind of like explosion of of joy, yeah, uh, which tellingly you don't get to enjoy very long. It's this wonderful explosion, and just as you feel, and the horns come into, and just as you feel this jubilation, it, it revolves t twice, yeah. and already the horn starts to decay, and you can start to feel it drift back to the initial theme that the piece starts with, right. uh, which to me, emotionally, is a great contextualization of this feeling. We're all in this together, and that's exactly how much jubilation we get to have now. Right. Before we have to get back to work. It's a bit scant, yeah. Okay. Is there anything more you want to say about this piece? Either of you? Um, there's a filmmaker. His name is uh, Geoffrey Boulanger in Montreal. And he's been making a bunch of uh, videos for us that haven't been released. And the one for this one is amazing. It's all basically he took, because he had been traveling in Central America in the early mid 2000s. And it's all about people hopping trains and riding north. Okay. So we look out for that? Yep. Okay. Coming up. All right. We move on to the third song on the record. It's called La Penombre. not to get too teary-eyed but this is another one of those metaphors for me I, mean, I love the way it's because it's partly what Esmerine means to me uh, as a player and as someone who gets to enjoy the process uh, is 
that it kind of allows music to do what's that famous quote from the 19th century music was born free and to win f- and to win freedom is its destiny oh and esmerine kind of more than any project i've ever been in really embodies that sense of oh uh when music is at its freest all of the lines between what's a literal narrative and what's not a narrative all metaphors become possible this song is special to me because I got a phone call from my neighbor one day saying, hey, Brian, I was at the end of the great Glebe garage sale in Ottawa and I saw this instrument in the garbage and I thought you'd like it. Like, I get these phone calls pretty regularly, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, bro- broken ukulele, busted up little harmonica. You should see his basement. You're known for this. You, you gave my, I believe it was you, Brian, that gave my son <clears throat> a trumpet, right? Yeah. A kind of busted up trumpet, but that he's been playing. Perfect yeah, yeah. for a six-year-old. Perfect for a six-year-old. Yeah, he's just working on it. He's... You don't want to give a six-year-old a great trumpet. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. Was that did I did I insult you by no, saying no, it was a no, broken no, down no? No, no, no. That's a public service announcement. I'm just saying. I was, was just, just telling the people. I'm just saying it was like not. I just want to make Context. clear that you didn't give my. Yeah, yeah. You're not some sugar daddy. It's yeah, like here's come. a brand new trumpet, kid. It was like a, a trumpet he could yeah. mess around with. Yeah. Absolutely, it was a yeah. spare trumpet. But it's very nice, and yeah. he loves it, and he plays it all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm. Yeah. I'm I'm gratified to hear that. And so you're kind of this collector. People know you as... As someone who will steward instruments. And do you repair them? Uh, or try to? If they're repairable, yeah. I don't take on any repairs on instruments that need proper attention. No, no, no. I mean, of your I, own... That's also a public service announcement, <laughs> so <that> people know. <laughs> no, I will not repair the crack in your Stradivarius. Do you try to take things... Like, if you can't do it and you want to salvage it, would you take it somewhere? Uh, the whole range of what stewardship involves. Right, okay. Is sending it to the recycling, even if that's the actual thing okay, that needs to be done. Okay, I see. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. So this, no, no, no. So, so, you... so this woman, uh, I thought it must be a harmonica, one, a typical beaten-up instrument. So I go by to grab it, and it's a Camelsongoni. It's clearly built in West Africa, probably Burkina Faso, from what I can tell, and um, very crudely made, but made with heart and made by someone who knew what they were doing from a, making a musical instrument. Can you, can you, you explain, explain, it, it explain with a camel It has a very large, so it's kind of like the folk version of uh, a kora. Oh, okay. So you picture a core has got a big calabash and a very large stick with all of these strings, sometimes 50 even strings on it. West African harp. West African harp. Yeah. So the Camel Singoni is uh, an eight string, usually eight string. Like a Celtic harp. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was totally astonished. And so the point being, this is perhaps the most delicate and gentle song on the on the album, and I think if anything, if 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 anything, it kind of touches the most folk idiom. It's the most folky kind of tune on the right. album, and fascinatingly, it comes from an instrument that was built so lovingly in Burkina Faso, and wound up unsellable at a garage sale in in Central Ottawa. In Ottawa, yeah. couldn't sell it for five. Dollars. You have no idea. So, it's beautiful looking. Let me remind you. It's, yeah. it's a gorgeous looking instrument. And what you're hearing on the recording is the same strings. Oh. And so I didn't even touch the instrument. So it's not like it was in the garbage and needed... No. Oh, you I, didn't... This is not uh, the benefactor of your stewardship, per se. You just got it going. You tuned I, it? I did, <laughs> I did <laughs> tune it. Yeah. Yeah. What did you tune it to? 
It, well, I, I actually, um, I must messed around with so many different yeah. tunings. C-ish. Um, but I found a tuning. It's C-ish with some flats. Oh, kind of seven, like kind of C minor, C minor, but okay. C minor seven. Okay, kinda. yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, mostly pentatonic because eight strings. There's not much you can do. So that to me, if you if if you'll forgive me, the long diatribe that there's there's there <laughs> it wasn't is the diatribe. It wasn't really it wasn't a diatribe. Really diatribe. Yeah. There was the there. That's the metaphor of that tune for me. It's like oh, the tune is built off of sublime garbage. Right. The detritus. Right. The the waste byproduct. Right. In this case, the waste byproduct. Is a gorgeous, unique instrument right. that's fully playable. Made it onto a record. It's yeah. awesome. Almost went into the landfill. Bruce, do you have more to say about it? I mean, that's that's some interesting background. But do you have more to say about this piece and, and even the title itself? So la penombre is basically it's it's like the penumbra. That's the English translation. So a penumbra is the half shadow that is often uh, like when it's like a half eclipse. Oh, okay. I, right? did, I that's wasn't a, aware of that. The penumbra. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, so from a metaphoric allegory thing, we're in sort of that zone right now. and um, A half eclipse? We're in the shadow. We're in the shadow of the, okay. We're in the shadow. The darkness. The, the darkness. <laughs> so we are, we, I think, on every level, we are in the darkness, yes. Yeah, but, the, you know, there's also light, and so we've, passed, we've, either have, we've either have passed through the darkness or we will pass through, and the light on the other side. You can't have shadow without light. I thought, yin and yang. You, know, so, you see what I'm saying? I said, yeah. You, you see what I just came up see, with there? You got it. I got it. Right. That's the point? That is the metaphor for the title. And it's in French because it just is, it's, it's nice. I like it better okay. in French. Okay. And for the the song itself, it's an uh, an easy meditative jam that the band came up with. Is it's there like a two parter basically? Yeah, we've there's a some intermingling of language here in the titles, right? That's there's fair to say. There's three languages. There's three languages. Is there any? Uh, and so we have English, we have French, and we have Spanish. Uh, Is there any reason? Again. Well, I read all those three languages. Oh, okay. And so I collect titles. I see. And that was what was brought out, and that was what was decided upon. Okay. It would also be somehow strange for an instrumental album out of Montreal to... Not be, have not be multilingual. Not be These multilingual. are the three primary languages in the city, right? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably. Depends on the neighborhood. Yeah. Of course. We'll yeah. add Yiddish yeah. in the next one. Right, of course. I would course. say in your constellation that would be true, although I, Hebrew, I guess, would be... No, Yiddish. Yiddish, pardon. Mile End, at least, would have... Oh, yeah, the whole sort of north end stretching out to, to the west and past to Kerry. Yeah. Would be these three, probably. Well, it would be less Spanish and more Yiddish, Yiddish. as you go west. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Uh, interestingly enough, as the final footnote to uh, Penombre, yeah. also a tune that starts with an indefinite mode, but leaning to a dark mode, yeah. turns into kind of a joyous celebration. But once again, even in the joyous celebration, yet again resolves mm. back to the dark shadow. You actually feel the half eclipse happen in the piece as the light kind of appears and then that goes away again. Okay. Don't get used to the light, I think. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Okay. We move on to uh, the fourth song, La Plume des Armes. Mm-hmm. 
This is 7-4. Yeah, so that's the working title, 7-4, because it's in 7-4. time signature, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this piece, uh, Brian and I came up with and jammed off each other and uh, created together uh, prior to the record. That was my experience. There... uh, Yes. We had fun. We just were like, we let's play in 7-4. It was and just we, the two of you? Yeah, on my marimba. We created it on my marimba. I had uh, I had three interlocking themes because it... Sorry to keep bringing up this flow chart. And no, I hope, no, I, I, hope I don't get greedy. I hope I don't... Greedy, no, teary. I'm, I'm going with the flow chart right now. It's going fine. Go with the flow chart. Yeah, yeah, Are you feeling the vibe uh, in this room? I am. Uh, but the aluminum flow chart actually had these had these interlocking you could see these interlocking algorithms that would totally disconnect but come back together right. and totally disconnect and come back together and they were odd it wasn't even uh so there was actually a structural yet again a structural um, element to this yeah. an architectural element to this okay and and when you hear it i think it's the whole the first part is kind of obvious it sounds like a clock that should be broken but it's so it's no it's functioning somehow yeah and that's Jamie's contribution because he didn't actually take any kind of didn't go into a seven, seven four type of drum. He really this is took Jamie Thompson, the drummer. Jamie Tyler Thompson yep. from Guelph. From Guelph, from that's Guelph. right. From right here in Guelph, mm-hmm. hometown proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just and saw so, him. He's been hanging around here a little bit, actually. Oh, great. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was Christmas time. He's Christmas time. Yeah, I fan. saw him. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I saw him a couple of times. Yeah, <clears throat> he's looking so, well, looking happy. Good. <laughs> and so uh, he just took various like little you know bells or wood blocks. <laughs> and created something that's right, very kind of time based in its metaphor to to create that kind of clicky clacky element behind behind the whole uh thing. I think it worked really well. And then when we were starting to edit the piece, he came in with his Nord and sampled some of that percussion element and really twisted it. Which I really liked. He also did that in um, La Lucha Suna Sola, the music box piece. And you can hear kind of what he does. And I really like how it forms, it often forms a transition between one part to another. Yeah, it, it did seem like a, when we were talking about Lost Voices that there was this electronic instrumentation element that was, as well as the guitar making its way through. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, these are. The primary instrumentation in Esmerine has has been acoustic instrumentation, I suppose. But so, there were all these sort of synthetic tones starting to make their way through. And that's how we're evolving, essentially. You know, we started as an, as an acoustic ensemble, and then, of course, people started having their amplifiers and then various pedals and exploring with pedals and then um, with uh, processors and synthesizers. And But and fascinatingly, you're, t- you're, you're putting all of the acoustic instrumentation, a lot of it anyway, through. Through those things. Yeah, well, th- that would be, t- to my mind, that is how classical music might evolve in the 21st century. Right. Like, why wouldn't people in an orchestral sense have amps and pedals? I don't know. Why wouldn't they? No, I know. And it's been said a thousand times. But I think if Mozart was alive today, he would, of course, have a Marshall stack or whatever. I mean, he wouldn't. Or any of these so-called great composers from times past would not limit themselves. I mean, we've heard way. we've heard these uh, arguments. Um, um, there's a cohort of hardline, old school classical music enthusiasts that are really resistant to any change. I or mean, do they like prepared piano? I, I don't know. Well, there you go. Right? I don't know. I actually don't know what they want. I just hear this. I, I hear it from 
you know, I know that when the CBC changed one of their... Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stations to be, you know, they, they segmented yeah. the classical. It used to be all classical, and they segmented it. There was a huge uproar. And, yeah. I mean, granted, it wasn't, well, what they were doing wasn't like, we're going to play some more contemporary versions of classical music. We might play some Esmerine, maybe, or something. You know, they weren't saying that. Uh, they, they were just like, no, from this time to this time, it's just going to be pop music or whatever, you know? So I can kind of understand why people who really love classical music saw that as an affront to the, the culture. But it, what, from and what you're aesthetic. saying, yeah. yeah, from what you're saying, I don't think they're doing themselves any favors by not adapting to or technology. Or exploring. I mean, or exploring, right? yeah. It's like, there's it's... There's lots of musics that get created and then almost seem to get stuck. I mean, there's people are studying jazz now and almost in the same way they study classical music in music schools. And then there's other forms which are rigid in their presentation, like bluegrass, for instance. Yeah. But then, you know, you ask, I mean, there's a famous old Duke Ellington quote, what type of music do you like? I like good music, you know? And, <clears throat> and yeah. then there's the other, on the other side, I like both kinds of music, country and Western. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, in this age of where you're encouraged to be a cultural omnivore, you're not going to survive if you are. I mean, I think what happens to, it happens to me sometimes. You I think like I, what you like. Well, you like what time. you like. And, and, and because we have so much choice, like, yes, I can listen to an Esmerine record or a Cadence Weapon record and or something. Or the replacements. Or the replacements all throughout the day. And then eventually I'll just, because it's available to me, I'll be like, I just feel like listening to Harry Nilsson or something. Like, I'll just go back to something from... Yeah. And that's just the way I think a lot of people are. They're like, all right, I just want to listen to Ray Charles while I'm doing the dishes. I don't want to listen to anything. Exactly. You know, you a know. point in every direction is the same as no point at all. Right. <laughs> Yes, that's as Harry Nilsson himself exactly, said. Exactly, yes. The, from the point, I from believe. From the point. But yes, exactly. The Taoist yeah. philosopher Brian Sanderson. <laughs> that's Harry Nilsson. That's Harry Nilsson. That's Harry Nilsson, yes, exactly. And I think that uh, that's where we're at. It's also very strange, speaking as a member of Local 180 in uh -huh. Ottawa, yeah. the Musicians' Union, Yeah, it's it can be very strange. And I won't begrudge anybody their income or their pension, and I really mean that. But... When you're experiencing, um, when you go to talk to your union rep and 95% of your union are all people who play in the symphony, there's a complete myopic, yes. there's, there's no, yeah. there's a total distortion yeah. of the economics of music that is hilarious and totally laughable and they keep asking why musicians like me kind of let our union dues slide or, or whatever and you keep well. coming back to them saying, well... 
um, these people who play all of this great classical music, which I like and I'm happy that they're doing, it's fine that they all have dental plans and that they're making all this money and that's great and everything, but in the great economics of, of everything, it's strange that we continue to make these cultural choices to have these crazy disproportionate subsidies while not being able to say it out loud and well, have a conversation. It's strange on it. one hand. I think it's quite telling that the same cohort of people that aren't adapting to new musical ideas might also not be paying attention to the large group of people speaking up about such disparity. You know, the large group of people that are saying like, you know, I I can't make a living doing this anymore. Mm. It sounds like people in that. Oh, frame. my cohort. I'm watching my cohort drop like flies right now. Right. Because they're not adapting to anything, it sounds like. Oh, well, and, well it, from people who like, who, like me, spend their time playing outside of the classical idiom, it's just, to be honest, become slightly harder every year to kind of really make an honest living. When you go to Europe and people ask you what you do, you say, I'm a musician. And they say, oh, or great. You know, they just respond. And when you're in North America and someone says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a musician. They say, and they really do, what do you really do? What else do you do? Or no, what do you really, what do, you really do? do? They don't believe it. Right? They actually don't believe that uh, because and somewhere the truth that they're speaking to is, is that truth that it's not possible, actually. Yes, yes exactly. But I, I feel like musicians for the longest time have been looked at with that incredulity of like, how can you possibly just be yeah. a musician? And now all of that psychic reticence to believe in it has sort of manifested itself in a way that, yeah, musicians can't really make a living just being musicians, right? No, it was easier in the depression, it was, statistically. Was that right? Oh, I, you can talk to old timers in the Gatineau, where we're from. They had seven, eight gigs a week in 1935, oh. 1936. They were all paying gigs. Yeah. Some of them had regular gigs that paid them fifty dollars. Fifty dollars yeah. had a gig in nineteen thirty. In the depression, during the depression, yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. There was a time when when the the, the profession was vaunted, and now it's not. And then necessary. Right. We just have so much more different media now. It's, Absolutely. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's times change. All right. Well, that was an interesting discussion of that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 chortle, chortle. <laughs> I think we should move on. Yeah. We should move on to the fifth song on the record. It's called Que Se Vayan Todos.
they all must go. They all must go. Is that what that means? It's another thing from Argentina in the early 2000s. You really? What were you reading? You sa- I know you get your stuff from reading. Yeah. Bruce, what were you reading when you... Well, I just, you know, the internet. You were reading the internet. You know what I mean. Like, <laughs> just... Re- I, but it sounds like you're very this Argentinian conflict. This is what you were. I'd like to. This, I really yes. Well, it was. It's something that particularly appeals to that works well with the mechanics of Dominion. What are part of those mechanics? The, one of them. There's the environmental side, but this is the using people and cultures against themselves for profit. Yeah. And who does that? We know who does that. So. The, ga- the the banksters, as people call them now, right? right? right. So uh, get them all out. Raus, right? Could have called it Raus. But that's a great, I think that's a great saying, which, que se vayan todos, which really should be a rallying cry to, I mean, it's the, the, 90, the 99% movement. That's what was going on in Wall Street. They're essentially saying the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I, I see where you're coming from with it. Um, Brian, do you feel like the music speaks to the uh, urgency of this of this title? One of the images, I will refrain from delving into metaphor, one of the images, though, <laughs> that was an inspiration at the same time, if you can call it that, were these desperate images coming out of Syria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, uh, whatever, in a century and a half where you could say those desperate images coming out of blank. It's hard not to be cynical and it's hard to even uh, express one's genuine feelings. It's hard and not witnessing to be- a continual atrocity that keeps going on. And, oh, this year it has to be Syria. And watching this image of this woman and her child and she's, there's nothing left. There's nothing left anywhere for hundreds of miles and, there's no help that's forthcoming and the great perpetrators of the damage aren't owning any responsibility for the damage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a wonderful stillness and a glowing love that you can hear at the beginning of this track. And it's so singular and so innocent and so delicate and fragile. And slowly all of the forces of everything around them that they have no control over and no say over, it just completely overwhelms them. Until you can still, if you struggle, you can still hear their their presence. You can still feel their presence amidst all the chaos and bedlam. Yeah. But by three quarters of the way through the track, they're completely obliterated by, for me, the clearest visceral expression on the album of my feeling to having to witness these atrocities over and over again in my exceptionally privileged position of relative peace and innocence. Right. Yeah. Did you were you trying to suggest that you're it's difficult to be cynical about these things because we're doomed to repeat historical cycles? Uh, it's it's um, I, I, that's what I picked up on. There. Yeah, uh, like this this year it's Syria. Yeah, and it's hard to both simultaneously or West Myanmar. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard to simultaneously say that sentence to utter that sentence. Oh, this year it's Syria, and have it be both actually true, yeah. kind of on so many levels and at the same time deplorable and despicable. I shouldn't even be able to say that without, right. without breaking down. It's awful yeah. that that's uh, the state of affairs. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there's a... And the continual state of affairs. And the continual state of affairs yeah. and... There's like a hopelessness. Yeah. And it's all of us, which is harkens back to the previous track. It's, we're all, it, it, 
there is no us and them anymore. Mm -hmm. That woman and her kid is on the cutting edge of what's happening, but it's not like we're safe or innocent or separate from it here actually anymore. Well, uh, it's fascinating to me because when when Bruce and Becky and I spoke the last time, I was trying to suggest that I felt like Lost Voices invoked a certain militancy. Um, at the time, we were talking mostly about environmental collapse, climate change, and I was trying to suggest that I, I felt like the record in its own way was was part of a, a, a militant movement to spread awareness and, and make people... Uh, I don't know, more accountable for their actions as, as just human beings living their lives, you know. And in fact, Bruce, you, you kind of resisted it. You resisted this notion of there being militancy. Because I think that's the opening. That for that record, it was more of the opening of it all. Like we're just – we were more calling attention than <clears> – <throat> I think there, there's a lot more militancy in this one. In this, in this record. record. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I, where it's coming from. Yeah. And when you say that there is a, this is potentially a trilogy in the making, uh, I'm curious to know what, uh, we'll get to it maybe by the end about where we're going with this, but. Air raid sirens and chalkboards. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's fascinating to me that, uh, I guess what I, where I'm coming from now, Bruce, if, if Lost Voices was the introduction and at the time you were suggesting that it didn't contain a certain amount of militancy, <clears throat> what inspired that militancy to permeate this record? Okay, so I was thinking about that, um, imagine that, and <laughs> you can think of Lost Voices as uh, a gyre, you know how hawks, falcons rise and rise in the air? Yeah. So Lost Voices is like, we're just getting off, we're starting, we're calling attention, we're here, we're starting to ride. This is more... Let's get going. It's the next stage. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Right. Right? Right. Okay. And what are we doing also? And how are we involved in all the mechanics? Yeah. I don't feel right. like we separate what is ourselves. Our I, I feel like we also own our culpability. We should. Right. Okay. All right, gentlemen, uh, shall we move on to the next song? Yes, we should. Do we feel comfortable? So, actually, one last thing. Oh, sorry. The little piano piece at the beginning of that song was the one of the outtakes from that's from oh, the movie. From the film. And it, and it actually got dovetailed into an outtake from Lost Voices. Uh, how so? What do you mean? So the we call it the noise jam, so that whole... From Lost Voices. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't on, it didn't make it on the record. Oh, I see. Oh, so there's a little bridge yeah. between the, the three mm -hmm. th three sessions, so mm -hmm. to speak. Okay. And we had actually talked about this image <clears throat> that I brought up. We'd actually had a discussion of the image, and that was one of the ways that this dovetailing of these two, the, like in searching for something that had that sense to it musically, we literally, there was these two yeah. dovetailing pieces of music that all oh, that's kind of exactly what we're talking about, right? There. There's yeah. the, and there's the right. thread. There's okay. the thread from one to the other. Okay. All right. We, we are going to move on to the uh, next song. Uh, I hope I pronounced this correctly. Mechanics of Dominion. <laughs> Mechanics. Mechanics. Of Damianion. Of Damianion. Yeah. <laughs>
Brian? This is Brian's tune. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, this is um, this is flowchart to the max. No, except Flowmax. Flowmax. Cath the Cath Cowboy. Yeah, except for this one, it, to me is really the reason why it's called Mechanics of Dominion, is because it really deliberately plays unambiguously with this recurring theme in all these flowcharts. Uh, when I married them to. This other book that I was reading every day, which was the Bibliographic Encyclopedia of Science by Isaac Asimov. What is your background? You, you seem to you seem to be fascinated by uh, charts, flow, flow, flow charts, obviously. I'm and, a musician. Yes, but... <laughs> I can't help myself. Like no, but what do you really do? <laughs> <laughs> do you have some, si- you have some science student, background? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a student of uh, philosophy, student of history. Okay. Uh, I also, by times organized teaching groups with young people, uh, usually around history, because it's kind of a, not kind of, it's a seriously deficient subject in our public school system in terms of study right history. now. History. History. But you, you mentioned that you were reading a science <clears throat> text. Because it's 2018, and because now you can't read, uh, you can't seriously read history and not get in, uh, understand or appreciate graphic uh, statistics. Yeah, and sure. And, if, and... I would argue to try and even begin to understand anything of philosophical import now in terms of how people are talking to not at least understand what quantum mechanics is. Like we're just at a time where we can't draw lines if we want to take, if we want to understand how to have less plastic in the ocean. Huh. There's a there's cha- a da- there's a so many fields that we have to actually be open to understanding there's if we a, actually want to take it seriously. There's a chance that our current extremely dumb timeline might inspire us all to become a bit smarter. To actually try to be like, wait a minute, what? I gotta read up on this, like I gotta figure it out. Yeah, who can't understand the basic principles of quantum mechanics? Yes, I don't actually I'm not able to perceive it, of course. Uh-huh. And I'm not a scientist. Right. But you can wrap your head around. They're, they have dummy guides to quantum mechanics, man. <laughs> right. So I can't be that hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it would be beneficial to all of us to uh, learn more about them. It sure would be. Yeah. Uh, it's the intermingling of fields. Like that used to be something in a renaissance, and then all of a sudden everything has become very separate. To keep us dumb, I think, probably. It's still the most profound, one of the most profound conversations I've had on this show was with Scott Thompson of the kids in the hall just talking about how in order for us to get over uh, religious, like bigotry to do with religion, everyone should learn about every religion completely and entirely to understand where people are coming from. Yeah. And not just mock it or belittle it or suggest yours is better than the other, but actually get into each one, learn about them, and then figure out where people are coming from. And you have people asking their high school-aged young people, teachers, our education system, thinking that they're being creative— uh, assigning an essay assignment on how do you feel about Donald Trump or what do you think about Donald Trump? Uh, have you studied American history? No. Right. I mean, what's, what's the point? What's the point? It's not, yeah. it's, it's not, it, you're also setting the entire society up for failure if that's your idea of education because uh, we need, even though we have access to so much information, we actually need vastly more of it being imparted to Well, I think the subtext of fake news and, and fact-challenging is actually an ahistorical, like... Don't uh, whatever precedents don't matter. Past behavior doesn't matter. Let's just concentrate on what I'm saying to you now. That forget what I've said before, and that's a weird 
catch-all scapegoat that people are using in all forms of life these days. Mm, and like, and it intellectually matter, lazy. Well, it's intellectually lazy, but it's also this just it, – it, it just basically creates this atmosphere where you can't call someone out on something they've said or done before or a country's history because it doesn't matter. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, what you've done before informs everything you're doing now and who exactly. you are. So how can we discount that? So yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Mechanics of Dominion comes. Uh, if anyone would love to go to Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, uh, because I find it profound. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't I, like. I don't think you can really try to understand Canada, for example, the Dominion of Canada, without having a grip on the Old Testament. Is that right? Because if you try to think about anyone who quote unquote founded this country, what was going on in their head? Well, they read the good book. Right. Yeah. And every week they got together and talked about the good book. And it's called the Dominion of Canada for a reason. Right. And you don't have to be Christian at all. As a matter of fact, it behooves more Christians, I think, to wrap their head around it. But you don't have to be a Christian and to want to... I mean, you should take on the Quran and all of the sacred texts, but we're talking about Canada here. So the Old Testament is of particular relevance. Um, And... Verse 28, I mean, God told people to have dominion over all of nature. Right. Go out there and have conquest over everything. Subjugate it. And Joseph Campbell, so many intellectuals have said, well, there was this time where agriculture came on and the birth of agriculture led to things like the Bible and that way of understanding history and and this um, uh, these connections between asserting dominion and agriculture and giving up on a different way of recognizing life. So in trying to, with that in mind, and looking at all these flowcharts of how we process things, what are our industrial processes? You see these, these continual patterns of how does this thing work? Does this thing work? I'm not sure if this thing works. The first half of the process is developed very slowly without much movement. Now the piece itself is a, is a phrase essentially repeated over and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And the phrase consistently, the first half of the phrase follows this intermingling, this mm-hmm. kind of like, not just a little idea, slight change. Oh, and then that idea. Oh, and then this idea. I see. Oh, and the snowball and the snowball and this happens and that happens and that happens. And then we get to this new stage and then we rethink the idea again and refine and rethink and refine. And think, relate refine. to different instruments through the different instruments. So it's actually so quite the, a literal... Very. performance in terms of its relation to the yeah yeah like and and title. i love how music can do that you can have an emotive journey that is a direct representation of a i once did a piece called critical mass and people have done it people have done it many times since uh that was back in like 93 or something and i scored it as an improv for four people and every it was in uh, 12-4 time, every beat represented a month, it moved really slowly, and this mm. is how many musical events you had to create in the key of D in this beat. And every one represented a nuclear detonation from 1945 to 1989. Right. And wow. actually, what started off as a compositional journey uh, turned into this, I was, I was weeping. Because when you get to a bar that goes, and you have four people in a room who can't possibly play fast enough to make enough nuclear explosions happen in this given month, you actually feel it in a way that you can't possibly understand it in your mind. And it becomes emotional on a wholly different level. Right. When you consider that the average detonation was 10 times uh, Hiroshima detonation. Right. 
And so many <laughs> atmospheric ones. Yeah, you recognize what the impact is on the Earth of all of that sound. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a, <laughs> uh, I mean that, uh, that's truly fascinating. Uh, Bruce, do you have anything more you want to say about Mechanics of Dominion? So this is, I guess, the most, uh, the, re- the most that Esmerine has gone into post-rock, quote-unquote, you know. Do you believe in this term? Do you know what it means? And no, but it's a label, and labels can be helpful for people. I just know that many uh, musicians who have been uh, categorized as post-rock kind of resist that title because they don't know what it means. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Because, uh, uh, you know, Godspeed, we always, we always said we're a rock band. What's, you know, that's it. Yeah, 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 I know. And I don't know what, how do you classify Esmerine in that? Esmerine, I would, I would say it's a classical ensemble that has elements of rock. Right. Post rock. Cla- chamber rock. Chamber has, rock has is, been yes, the, that's right. The I've heard blah, that. blah that I've heard. <laughs> yes, that's right. Chamber rock. Anyway, sorry. Please continue. So, yeah. So, when we were, we had this, this very mechanical element. Um, creating it, <clears throat> creating this piece, and uh, so, but we tacked on a beginning and an end to it, to give it context and depth. So there's Jamie's rolling drum set yep. at the beginning of all that, yeah, and then there's a break, and then when we come back in, it's almost there's a stronger urgency, and that's really where I wanted Jace to come in and. Go crazy! With That's right. Guitar. Jace is on this piece as well. That's this right. is really where the gu- the screaming guitar kind of thing and that that whole timbre that a a really nice electric guitar played through uh, with distortion and the pedals that he uses can really have a very strong effect, like a visceral effect. Yeah, I and mean, we wanted that in this piece. From that point of view, I mean. All the uh, the other songs, they each have a visceral effect in their own way. How do they approach a particular element of songwriting? And so that's what we used in this one. All right. That's fair. Um, anything more to say? Or shall uh, we? No, other than thematically, I guess it's uh, we can come back to that idea of, once again, the piece has its own journey. And the machine, in its effort to have this dominion, of course, gets stronger and bigger and larger and everything that you would expect it to do but inevitably of course and it completely falls apart mm. and you can see it coming from the minute it starts i feel like when the piece starts you know how this is going to end yeah. right this yeah. machine all the rivets are going to pop off and this, this machine is going to we're going to put it in the landfill yeah just uh, how okay yeah all right well i appreciate your insights it's going to give me more to think about as i listen back to it <laughs> honestly i mean i i I find that fascinating. Okay, we move on to the penultimate song on this record. It's called Northeast Kingdom.
Earthy's Kingdom, I would say it would almost be the most classical song on the record because it's a piano piece with a string quartet. Yes, there are many. I was going to say this is the song that features the most guests. Uh, yeah, many guests here. I don't know if you want to cite them, but they're there. Yes, the guests are my friend Orit, rest in peace, Christina, Chloe Myers, and John Dodge. And um, two of those people play uh, Baroque instruments, and they're from a Baroque ensemble. And it's more uh, a meditation on a quiet part of the world. Mm. The, the Northeast Kingdom is actually, or quiet parts of the world. So it's basically, the Northeast Kingdom is a spot in Northeast Vermont where Bread and Puppet Theater comes out of. I don't know if you've heard of them. In in Vermont? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's its name for the Northeast corner of Vermont. The Northeast the Kingdom. The Northeast Kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. It's mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones style. There yeah. you go, Vermonters. <laughs> Well, they, Bernie, they've, Bernie. they've locked up all the elves because they started to steal from the tourists. And, uh, but, uh, King of the Northeast. Okay. So it's, medita- it's like a meditation on, the, you know, you can have quieter spots of, in the world. And how is that valuable? I see. And so, the, and it's basically, it's kind of a two-parter or it's a movement with a very long outro. Because the outro is... Um, harmonium or two harmoniums i played uh the harmonium and then basically just doing uh, a pulse and then played the pulse again without listening to it that's like a very uh, steve reichian kind yeah. of uh phase kind of thing and i really love the element of that that kind of thing so um it's very subtle but wonderful to my ears okay okay uh brian do you have anything more to add it's the only point in the album where I actually am allowed to experience joy and feel confident that it's safe to experience joy. When the horns come in, there's this really, it's a, when you've heard it for a third or a fourth time, you start to anticipate this climax where these horns come in and the whole piece erupts in this really this fanfare. S- syrupy, jubilant fanfare. Uh Syrupy in the maple syrup on your pancakes, not syrupy in the glucose fructose. Oh my God, why did they put that on my cornflakes? Kind of <laughs> sure. <clears throat> if you follow me, I do. Uh, but it really pure uh, syrup, just like a pure syrup, not a yeah, like the kind of thing that you can eat and afterwards feel like no, that was good for me yes. and I liked it. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. uh, so I really appreciate that on the album without being coy, uh, without trying to say oh it's going to be okay. There's that sense of. There is only now, we are alive, and whatever joy you do experience is valid. Right. And you can experience that joy anywhere, and uh, perhaps when we go to these, the Northeast Kingdom, when we go to these places that are afforded uh, um, this this peace and this tranquility, which this country is embarrassingly full of, uh, perhaps that's something you can bring back and be reminded of, mm. that there is this abundant joy that's easy to experience in some of these places. And yet you can still be a person anywhere on the planet in any circumstance. And because you're human, magically, you can still experience the same joy. And uh, that's what I always take from that piece. I Mm -hmm. always feel very good 
when I come to, and, it, and it ends the same way the piece comes to this point of resolve and it's not all good, but it's not terrible either. You're not threatened. It's just a hard cut. It's just a hard cut. Right. That's fascinating. It's the only time where you feel joy or feel comfortable. Safe. Safe. I feel safe, safe. having my joy without feeling like, oh, I'm feeling joy, but yeah, there comes the freaking, right. uh, here we go. Right, right. It's okay. You can experience joy. Pure and joy. And you can experience joy and be a privileged white man from wherever. You can experience joy and be a rich man who doesn't give to anyone. Right. You can experience joy and be totally downtrodden and beaten up in a gutter. Mm-hmm. It do- totally doesn't matter. Uh, it, joy has no judgment to it. All right. Well, I appreciate these explanations. We move on to the final song on the record. With another language, actually. Another language. Is this Latin? Yes. No, that's true. Pishibus Maris. So this comes back to uh, Genesis uh, 28, chapter 1, 28, because Pishibus Maris is all the fish of the sea. Ah. All the birds of the air, all the, all the fish of the sea. And it struck me because I actually got to spend some time with the family on tour in uh, Iceland this past summer. His family. My family. Uh-huh. And, uh, w- wow, without wanting to talk about Iceland too much, <laughs> the, the presence of the ocean is uh, significant. It's yes, omnipresent. Yes, And uh, spent lots of time swimming with seals and feeling this just, I just felt like the luckiest person on the planet. And was reminded about that fact of the ocean, both the sound of the ocean as it approaches the shore and how magical and how um, inherent that is in the human condition. Like, that's something we know. Yeah. You can be generations in the middle of the steppes of Russia and and you can still somehow know the sound of the ocean uh, so deeply inside yourself. And then the other thing is how sound moves in the ocean, where you, uh, everyone's heard those humpback whale recordings when you play them outside of the ocean. And uh, yeah, it, no, turn it off. Oh my God, it's <laughs> awful. Uh, and, and, and when you take the same sound and you uh, allow the ocean to be its own instrument, uh, all of the overtones are present and the actual attack, the actual whatever the tone was to begin with is kind of obliterated by the presence of all of the effects of the tone itself. Once again, here's this metaphor coming, uh, how, a, a, an event. Yeah. A step is taken, and whatever it is, and for whatever the um, interests were represented, uh, after it's taken, the effects will subsume it. The effects will become much more than whatever the sound is. So it's a series of chords that are laid out with voices, and it's not the chord, it's not the chord itself, it's how it's stacked, and then getting Jace to work through the augmentation of the overtones and removing the actual chord itself. 
That's the basis of the piece. Removing the chord. So you're hearing a voice play individual notes that create a chord stack, uh, but then you remove all of the attack of the voices that are creating the chord in the first place, ah. and you augment all of the um, overtones. overtones that are being created. And then and that further obscures them. It further, yeah. And then, then you, uh, and then there's a just a very simple duet that's written. So uh, over so, top of this chord series, cello so, and violin. So this is a studio <clears throat> creation, pure like this is a studio experiment, so to speak, as opposed to like I mean, how do you replicate something? So like the this initial live? okay. So the initial the concept for the piece live. Uh, which for a variety of reasons, mostly because we're Esmerine and here we are in the studio and we can do these other things, which are actually both expedient and more interesting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, the idea for uh, performing it live, and I've done these, in, I've done this in other contexts. We haven't tried this with Esmerine, is to get four heads underneath a piano with the sustain pedal on. Oh, okay. And you have a. The challenge here is it takes so much practice. You're playing through the, the strings. And then you actually oh, you okay. actually take right. a pickup from right. the piano. You're resonating the strings with your voice, right? essentially. I see, okay. Right. Have I seen you? Have you done this before? Have you done this live? We No, we have not. Okay. It's, no. hard, it's hard to travel around with a piano. With a, uh, and the circumstances <laughs> you'd need, like you'd have to prepare a, you'd have to prepare a situation for it that for a piece that's less than three minutes, the two and a half hours of prep time yeah, yeah, yeah. every night. That yeah. is, well, that's it's why impractic- I ask. It's impractical. It does seem like something, but are you going to try to figure out a way to replicate this? I'm sure we could. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we could. And who's, where did this idea come from, per se? Is it Brian? This is your plan? Okay. Yeah, mostly following on these meditations. But it was fun to be with Becca and to, and to work out this duet because <laughs> it was so conceptual and what the piece you hear now on the end of this journey is very different from the piece she was hearing when she was recording the duet, Oh, actually. And I also love that. Whereas people could get into this idea that there's some pure way of conducting oneself in a studio mm-hmm. without recognizing that there's absolutely nothing you hear on a radio that adheres to that model of purity, like... Yeah, sure. Nothing, except for Shisham Lotus and Son. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is actually live off the floor. You know, a bunch of punk rock. Fair enough. Sorry, forgive me. I tend to think of a lot of, yeah. I mean, there's lots of things that have been recorded live off the floor. It's yeah. true. It's true. Mean, but bad, bad, not good record is recorded. Yeah, live that's off true. The floor. That's, that's true. Right? Yeah. But I, from the general public's point of view, yeah. I think it's not pointed out sufficiently how mediated the music is that they're listening to. Like, people, like how edited yeah 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 processed. no I hear you. I know like there's saying. a number of people who think they can't sing because yeah. they don't sound like Rhiannon and right. you have to take them aside and go dude Rhiannon doesn't sound like Rhiannon like you know it's <laughs> yeah. very important sure. to get that into people's um, yeah sure so I love the fact that you can be in these recording environments that are totally something that would have been experimental decades ago and is now just well this is how this is how this is working we have this wonderful acceptance now let's do this we're not so judgmental about some standard that has to be reached or, you know, yeah. or and, you is know, the needle hitting hot enough? You know, good. We don't have to play this live either. Like it could just be something that was offered on the record. No, no. And that's fine. I yeah. just wondered about mm-hmm. it just based, cause I didn't know that that was the background. So that's why when I hear what you're, when, when I hear what Brian says yeah. about it. Yeah. To me, it feels like it's really uh, almost a, uh, a lament. This song it feels like it's a lament. How so? Just because it takes a long time to, 
to really get going. There's almost almost static for a long time. It's mm-hmm. like you're processing something. Someone is processing something. And then just the duet, the way they're following each other and playing with, e- playing with each other and um, one following the other and back and forth. And this, the slow notes, it's really in Largo. And with that processing going on, behind it creates a kind of a, well, just a, like a, a sad, it would be, I think in Celtic music they would call it an air or something like mm. that. So it's not so sad, but it's almost like a, what would you describe an air as being? Somewhat melancholy. Yeah. Reflective. Yeah. And um, the kind of thing that you would sing most often because of some kind of loss. Or to yourself. <laughs> like even at a wedding, traditionally, you would sing the air often to mourn the people who couldn't be at the wedding. Right. It's not necessarily oh, some I beautiful see. thing yeah. you sing to the bride and groom. It's <laughs> right. the moment where you say, oh, grandpa yeah. couldn't be here because he died. More of an air than a lament. Okay, so, I yeah. see. Okay. All right. Well, is there a reason this this is the way? Uh, when I think of the trajectory of... of, of of these records and this being the potential uh, Empire Strikes Back <laughs> of the trilogy uh, is there a reason we leave uh, Mechanics of Dominion this way? Well, contemplative Yeah Right? Yeah You have the ability to process what you've just been listening to Yeah It lets you down nicely <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah Some records like to end on a big note Yeah And I find from live performances Esmerine works really well ending on a contemplative note. Yes. I can see that. Yeah. It uh, gives people the the space to process what they've just been listening to. It's true. I think the band's live performances are so dynamic and spirited and uh, this notion of kind of ending the way you've described makes sense to me and it makes sense for this record. Um, so we, um, we played the show in Athens on the night of the great Greek election. Yes. And the crowd, when you looked out at the crowd, you could see that everyone had been tear gassed how many times in the last two years? Yeah. And that's not a joke. Like, right. Especially this crowd of people who's coming out to see Esmerine. Yeah. There's not a soul in this room who hasn't literally battled it out every single day. And to come to the end of that performance and have that, these people coming up to us and just saying, wow, this is like medicine. Esmerine is just like the kind of medicine I need in order to cope with my life here in this, what we've become here in Athens. And uh, that is often what a good Esmerine show feels like. Oh, like medicine. People can walk away and feel like they've put some bomb on their soul. And any music, really. Any good music. Yeah. Right. Well, I want to thank you both for going through this record with me. We've obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, maybe it's only for us, but I hope we've struck upon some interesting (laughs) conversation (laughs) and ideas and and whatnot. We've got Uh, a few new hashtags. Hashtags, at least. Penis and Egos, I believe, was one of them from way back. Thanks, everyone, for listening through to the end of this. (laughs) Really great. Uh, No, no, it's not some charity. I think we've we've struck upon something fascinating here. Now, I, I... tried to lead us into a discussion about the future by discussing this final song and where mm-hmm. it might lead mm-hmm. as Marine. If we are indeed in a trilogy, what happens next? What happens? What, what is the plan going forward? Do you have a conception of what? Yes, I'd really like to do something about the, uh, talk more about the Anthropocene and explore that notion. And we actually want to do something with some friends of ours who, um, 
who are what, puppeteers? No, what would you call them? Machek, Machek and Chris. Oh, animators. Animators. Animators writ yeah. large. Yes, they, they Clyde Henry Productions. And yeah. They do. They did. Uh, they won that Cannes Madame Tootley Pootley. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So played on on that yeah. back then. They also did a video <coughs> for us. Yeah. For Lost Voices. So, right. So we have in mind we're doing something with that without revealing too much. That's not okay, but that <coughs> that's a separate project. That's that's what you're asking about. No, no, sorry. I meant yes. Well, it was sort of what I was asking about. But uh, sorry, are you speaking to the next potential record or the next potential recording? I, that's I, where that's the that's the tr- the end of the triptych. We'll be oh okay. We'll we'll be this mode. Okay. I just wasn't sure if you know we had the interstitial thing with the NFB film, mm-hmm. and you mentioned their animators. That so was just a side. We got a commission. So this so. is not a side thing. This is potentially where the next record will lead you. Yeah. Okay. All right. And how far along in that process are you? We've actually been talking about it for a year and a half. In so. terms of the music, though, have you? gotten together to think about new Esmerine music in relation to this? No, that will happen when it comes time. <laughs> That's I have, I, I, I have. Just, it's like a fountainhead and you just, you know, you open the well. And well, the well. this was part of our conversation last time with Becca and, and Bruce was this notion of like, we don't live together anymore. We're all doing our own things. Yeah, we're all in separate cities. And, and, some, and Becca's all over the place. It yeah. seems like she's all over the world all the time now exactly, based yeah. on her she's Instagram She's in Hawaii feed. today. Yes, exactly. So, so, <laughs> so, so this notion, she she suggested, you know, getting Esmerine together for anything was special to her because, and it had to be meaningful for her. So that's one of the reasons I ask. Uh, it sounds like you have plans and schemes. If well, I might say. We, we try to get together like once or twice a year for a few days to a week. Yeah, and instead of jamming every week, yeah, and then you can really get a lot done. Yes, because the time is. A, its own pressure. Yeah, and then you find a maybe you either find a nice place you'd like to go, like you get an artist residency somewhere, or you uh, you just get everybody together when they have time. Right. Okay. So that's where you're at. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think if, if we're all sharing the same meditation, like here's the broad strokes of kind of what we're thinking about. Cause yeah. The process of the band is also very much over time gathering and collecting the appropriate flow charts. Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the material comes as it comes and uh, we'll all be earmarking the in our own individual lives the things that are relevant and yeah. so that when it comes time the, there will have been preparation yeah. having been it's done. It's like wrapping your head around it. This is what it's all about. Right. Okay. I will think about that as I go through my life. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it sounds like you're all clear-headed and realistic about what you can achieve together <laughs> in the time you have together. So that's great. Uh, the The new record is called Mechanics of Dominion. It's available via Constellation Records, and people can go to cstrecords.com for the most comprehensive. They certainly and can, and they clear. can go to Bandcamp. we got a Bandcamp page band now. Yep, and you can also bug your local record store to Please. get the uh, Esmerine Records in yep. stock there and pick them up. Is there ones, we've talked about all the songs. People have heard little bits of them as we've uh, been... Uh, going through them. Uh, is there a, one specific song we can end this show with? Uh, let's go with Bruce. I, Brian, I, I no, no disrespect. None I just taken. think we'll go with Bruce on this None one. None taken. Unless you want to have a little 
a little conflict. A little tension. Little, in which case, you should this call happened, me first. This happened last time. I asked Becca, and she picked the song, and then it was Bruce's turn, and he he outvoted her somehow. It's 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 uh, it's just the natural flow of things. Yes, she agreed in yeah, the yeah, end. She absolutely. thought he was correct. I often think Bruce is correct. Yeah. In the end, when yeah. I talk to him but about it. You see, anything. the thing is, he can't stop, actually get stop. to be correct <laughs> until the point where the necessary conditions have been made. Exactly. That's right. That's so. right. All right. Anyway, sorry, Bruce. So uh, here we go. Is there a song from the record that we can hear? Actually, no. There is no song from the record we can hear. Well, we just. But. What? But there is a song that I think is so beautiful that didn't make it onto the record. And. Um, I'd like to give you that to play. Really? You're giving yeah. me a, an amazing gift instead of the other amazing eight gifts that I could have chosen from? You're giving me a brand new gift? Brand now, new extra gift. The extra f- gift? Yeah. The now, first time gift. played. Now, why? Well, okay, well, what is the name of this piece? Brian? It's called Serrano. It's called Serrano. And, and why? Okay, so what, what can you say about it before we hear it? But also, before that even, maybe. I don't know what the order is. Why is it on the record? That's what I'm really curious about. It's an outtake from the sessions. <clears throat> yeah. But why didn't it make it on? Because you can put 22 minutes of music on each side. Oh, it's simply a decision yeah. based on the space on the vinyl record. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. You can't have it all. How many songs did you actually record for this record? I think in the end we had uh, 13 or 14. 13 or 14. And there's an eight-song record. This song in particular sticks at this... What's it called again? Saranu. Saranu? What it's is that? Japanese. Japanese. What does it mean? Uh, it's, Whole other language. It's from uh, <laughs> a medieval Japanese haiku, so, which is called Mio Saranu. Saranu. Okay. Uh, because in medieval times, a lot of the calligraphy was done by... Uh, there was huge schools that you send your young women to to study calligraphy. Oh, I see. And uh, a lot of these women wrote haiku in their spare time with all their calligraphy practice and it was disproportionately of course underrepresented yeah uh, and a lot of it's been published recently so and I have a copy so uh, and the haiku roughly translates to the idea of um, no matter how hard I climb up this mountain that there will still be more mountain this this mountain is oh yeah entirely endless that's like the Haitian term right you know mountains beyond mountains so right. And I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Even though there is all of these things that we could talk about that I'm not alone, all of these demonstrations, ultimately, of course, I'm alone because we're alone in these endless chain of mountains. Oh, okay. And endless heights to climb. And so this song distinguishes itself in the Esmerine works in that we are, there's no instruments. We, we, it's a choral piece. Oh, you're, it's all vocal. It's all vocal. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's a, a meditation real, on that. It's a real treat. Uh-huh. I thank you so much. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, I wasn't expecting this. I thought, you know, we've gone through this record, and now I get a whole treat. I mean, what, what kind of life is this I'm leading? It's amazing. Yeah. There you go. A little joy. A little joy. <laughs> a no little more joy. Another little note. Yes. Is uh, at one point in all of these thoughts... Uh, mechanics of destruction. Uh, mechanics of destruction. Mechanics of <laughs> dominion. Uh, the idea popped into my head of the requiem mass and the point of a requiem mass, where you supplicate yourself before your creator and uh, ask for forgiveness yeah. and ask for mercy. Yeah. And then I had this uh, thought of, well, in the Anthropocene, in a post-God universe, 
if you were still writing a requiem, if you had a, a, a Kyrie eleison and you're asking for mercy, well, what then do you ask mercy of? And what does it sound like if you're now singing huh. in this echo chamber? Right. You're not actually addressing anything anymore except yourself. Uh, it kind of has that kind of requiem for the Anthropocene quality to it. Are you? You say it's a vocal piece. Uh, it's a choral piece. Are you? Is there a? a, a, a is there a, a words there's that no are words. being? Con- there's no words. It's it was sound. written to Come this on, haiku. Marine, what do you want? No. <laughs> it was written to this haiku, and then the the words were the lyrics were removed. It was, it was better with it, it was, was better without the lyrics. Written to a haiku. Yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. Okay. In order, just it just rather than have some arbitrary phrasing, it just felt really nice to s- score words. Here's the feeling of these words. I see. And then we don't need the the words are. Yeah, it's another tone poem. Okay, well I I can't thank you enough. Uh, if I, if I understand things correctly, right now we're going to go to an unreleased Esmerine song called Soranu. Yeah. And I want to thank Brian Bruce. Thank you so much for being on this show. Best of luck with everything going forward. Thanks, Rich. Yeah. Thank you.
Special thanks to Bruce and Brian from Esmarine for being on the 382nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on audioboom.com. If you can't find an episode or wish to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative or Vishkana. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. I also want to take a moment to thank everyone who has pledged to this show at Patreon.com slash Creative Control. It means the world to me. It really does. I can't thank you enough. And if you'd like to pledge to the show, please visit Patreon.com slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. And if you'd like a, a gift in return, please send me a note and I will send you something. I might actually have new gifts. Contemplating new gifts. Stay tuned. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound in Toronto for sponsoring this show. Thanks to you again for listening to it and reviewing and rating it and downloading episodes is huge. So thanks for downloading episodes of the show and spreading the word about it to your friends and your family and even your enemies. I, I don't know why you're helping your enemies, but uh, you do you. That's, that's great. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all I have to say for now. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.